0: Welcome to the Deeper Dive podcast brought to you by the OC Church of Christ. Let's dive deep into God's word, learning new insight and taking a fresh look at the verses that impact our daily lives. Today is the last of our four part study of First Peter. Here is Martin Chires. We're going to dive right in because, as always, we have a lot of material to cover. So quickly, I want to recap. So we, uh, Eric kicked us off and walked us through this study guide as a tool for us to use to have a better and healthier in-depth study. And then week two, we covered a few, the first, uh, Few chapters there in First Peter, and we talk about participation in the grand salvation story. And when one of the, some of the points were, you know, the churches that were being addressed there discovering their true narrative and their true identity, and uh, because of the things that God is doing, Peter is calling them, you know, to gird uh, gird up their loins to be sober mind. And then Peter releases their six exhortations: have hope, be holy, fear God love one another, desire the word, and build up the church. And uh, what an amazing list of things to dedicate our lives to as we serve God here. And that's part of participating uh, in God's. We have a couple of questions. What did God say to you through today's lesson? What can we as OC family learn from 1 Peter? Just think about one thing that you learn from first Peter, that's probably applicable to our, in God's salvation story. And then last week, Eric took us on a deep dive. Eric, I didn't know you were a certified diver, man, that's awesome. I can barely swim, bro. And so we walked through, Eric walked us through themes like submission, suffering, slavery, and loving one, each other, uh, deeply, and so today we close out the first letter in this setting. And these are the things that we're going to be we're going to be covering. Okay, so let's start here with chapter four, verse twelve through nineteen. I'm going to show the scripture for this first part, and then the rest I'll just read in reference to. Amen. All right. So, <clears throat> First Peter chapter four, verse twelve through nineteen. The overall themes here are suffering, joy, and judgment. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you, that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. And so this reference here of dear friends was also something that uh, Peter had already used in chapter two and verse 11. And it's his way of endearing himself to them, his way of saying, beloved, dear friends, we're in this together. And let me again remind you of what God is really doing. So when we read scripture, and we go back to our study guide, it's important to understand the context, right? And so if you remember that these are churches in in a part of the world that's isolated in a way from the Jerusalem setting, it's isolated from the center of the world during that time, Roman setting, they're kind of on their own. Peter addresses them as strangers and aliens, and you know that, hey, you no longer belong. It's very likely that these Christians were Gentile Christians, meaning that they had just been converted from a pagan religion, right? Prior to becoming Christians, they had everything in common with their society. They had everything in common with their neighbors. They had everything in common with everyone. They weren't the minority, they were part of the cultural majority. But now, as Christians, For the first time, these Gentile Christians are part of a cultural minority. And obviously, they are sensed to be shocked that, hey, I became a Christian. Why are all these difficult things starting to come into my life? Isn't my life supposed to be better because I became a Christian? And Peter is very direct and very honest. And he's saying, no. Don't be surprised at this fiery ordeal. You are now in the minority because you are Christians. You no longer fit into the pagan world. You no longer fit into the pagan customs that you have benefited from and have been so accustomed to. You are now different. And because being different and being in the minority, there is now difficulty in your life. You got to appreciate how bold and direct and honest Peter is. You know, in our modern day Christianity, there is this idea still that, you know, if you follow God, you're going to be happy. You're going to have everything out for you. God is now dedicated to bless you and make you better and feel fulfilled. And, and we can overemphasize some of those blessings and make God to be this personal servant of our joy, of our happiness, and of our needs. That is really the opposite of what the scriptures are saying. It's saying that we're not, God is not serving us, but we are participating with God and what God is doing in the world. And so Peter lets them know no, 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 don't be surprised. You are going to suffer. Now rejoice. Because it says here, you participate in Christ's sufferings. And then he says, when you are insulted in the name of Christ, you are blessed. And so this this change uh, of mindset that had to take place in these Christians are like, oh, my goodness. So if I follow God, now I participate in Christ's life and therefore I don't fit in into my pagan culture, and therefore I am no longer a beneficiary of this culture. I am in the minority, and I may miss out. Okay, so you can see and you can, we can imagine the, the changes that were taking place in the way that they view themselves in this world. He continues and says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief, or any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, and we should know that this is one of the few times the word Christian is here, uh, is mentioned, in fact, this is one of three, uh, right? And so Christian was an insult during that time. And so Peter is now taking that insult and embracing it and kind of changing the meaning and saying, if you suffer as a Christian, it's okay, don't be ashamed says, but praise God that you bear that name. And so taking this insult of persecution and making it something unique and something holy. Now, in our modern day context, that's no longer necessarily an insult, though it can become that again. So the first, the letter of Peter may become even more relevant to us. And so it says, for it, for it is time for judgment to begin in God's household. And if it begins with us, What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, and he quotes a proverb, it is hard for the righteous to be saved. What will become of the ungodly and the sinners? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Wow, this is big. Because though Peter is acknowledging that they are suffering, he is not telling them to escape the suffering. He is telling them to continue to do good, even though it's going to bring about suffering. Now, we got to take a quick time out here and be clear what Peter means when he says suffering. Throughout the letter of 1 Peter, when he talks about suffering, he's not talking about when a loved one dies. He's not talking about when we have illnesses. That's not the type of suffering that Peter is referencing. Those things I just mentioned are sufferings. There's other scriptures that attend to that need. But for Peter, when he talks about suffering, he's simply talking about this. When you do good and you get persecution when you do good and you suffer. So for example, if you were a business owner, you had to make a a pledge with whoever you were making a business with. And in that pagan world, everything revolved around pagan religion. So if me and Rob, who I see on my screen right here, were just two pagan neighbors and we wanted to make business Right? We would make a covenant under pagan gods. And that was a sign that we were on the same page that we were going to be loyal to each other. Now, if Rob becomes a Christian and we already had this plan to become business partners, and I said, All right, let's go to the temple and let's strike this deal under the gods. Rob would say, Well, I can't do that anymore because I I serve the true living God. Then I would say, You are a traitor in an honor and shame culture. Shame on you. You are a traitor to Caesar. You are a traitor to the gods. You're this Christian. I'm not doing business with you. And I'm going to tell everyone else who you are because we don't want your kind here. And so imagine that all of your prior allegiances, connections could be threatened because now you serve God. So Peter is in some ways is saying, yep, that's it keep serving God, keep doing good. And so there are other possibilities there of what good means. Like, you know, you were serving the poor when, you know, others in that culture didn't want you to do that because they kind of wanted the poor to move away. There's all kinds of those scenarios, but we see Peter saying this kind of suffering should continue because that is participating in the sufferings of Christ. So think about your personal sufferings. So go ahead and think about all of our personal sufferings. How many of those sufferings are consequences of personal sin? And how many are consequences of doing good? For me, most of the sufferings in my life are consequences of personal sin, if I mismanage my finances and I'm caught up in some serious debt, it's probably because I was materialistic. It's probably because I was just reckless with those things. But this is something good, I think, for us to evaluate. Wow, how much suffering do I have for doing good? You may think about your when you first became a Christian and you were a stranger to your family now. Or you were a stranger to your coworkers now or you were different with the friends you hung out with. Maybe your spouse wasn't a Christian when you became a Christian. There's all kinds of different scenarios that we can look back to and say, wow, that was suffering for doing good. To suffer for doing good is to be Christian. To suffer for doing good is to be Christian. You know, and another thing that Paul Peter addresses there is joy, right? And so he says, that we are going to participate in Christ's sufferings. And he says, you are go- you're going to be overjoyed. And so what he when Jesus is revealed. And so Peter is giving us this comfort in this image, which references hope, living hope that was mentioned earlier, about how we can, you know, participate in Christ's sufferings, but we are overjoyed with the glory that's going to be revealed. And so suffering is not just this, oh, let me just endure. No, no, no. We are confident that Jesus is returning. We are confident that what we are standing for is going to be lived out completely when the kingdom of God is complete, right? And so we are anticipating the future. And then it says, if you're insulted, you are blessed. Like, okay, and then it says, and the spirit of God, right? The spirit of glory of God rest on you. We just read that. You know, think about our view of the Holy Spirit. In our modern day Christianity, the Holy Spirit, again, can become this personal servant that that, that gives us, uh, sort of these, these like special feelings and powers. But here, the says, when you are actually insulted and when you are suffering, that's when, <laughs> that's a unique place when the Spirit rests on you. And so we are assured in our present, right? And so we are overjoyed where the coming glory. So we think about the future, but the Holy Spirit also helps us in our. Present and then those who suffer according to God's will commit yourselves to the creator. That's we just read that as well. And so we we commit ourselves to what to continue to serve God. Serving God, doing good, includes sufferings. Because now we're going to be honest with our boss. Now we're going to be honest when we make our taxes. Now we're going to be genuine. Right now we're going to give, we're going to participate in God's economy. And so now we share and we give and some of those things can imply some some sufferings, some challenges. And so again, if you put yourself in that era, in that time, in those churches around this pagan world, what a calling to be a Christian. What an example they are for us. Amen. Amen. And that, you know, again, they weren't just called to endure, but they were called to participate in this joy because they were convinced that the God they served was a real, true God. And that they were convinced that Jesus was returning and that the kingdom that they now serve, as opposed to the empire that they once served or themselves, that now they serve the true God and the kingdom. And so even though they miss out on certain things, they are full of joy, not of regret. How dangerous it is when we begin to feel regret for becoming Christians. How dangerous it is when we come to the fellowship no longer with joy in our hearts. That is no one else's responsibility but your own. It's a sign of a disconnect with the living God, and we see the reference here of Christ, Spirit, Creator, Father, Son, Spirit, the triune God is present in our lives, is calling us from the future, and is connecting us with all of the things that God has done in the past. And then there's judgment. This is scary. Again, this is a keep it real letter. And so there's a judgment in God's household first. That means that we got to be quick to take the plank out of our own eye. We can have all these expectations about, you know, what different groups and different people should be doing for others. But what about ourselves? What is our expectation in doing good? And so <clears throat> we got to ask ourselves, uh, why is it hard for the righteous to be saved? You know, sometimes we've all met people or we've had the feeling where we get in, we feel insulted when our salvation may be questioned. And yet Peter is saying, hey, it is difficult for the righteous to be saved. How much more those who don't believe, but but let's talk about us first, how difficult it is to be right. Why? Because it's easy to give in to the comforts of the world, to the self-interest that we have and let go of participating with Christ? How's your personal participation in the sufferings of Christ for doing good? Eric asked us last time, when is the last time you suffered for doing good? Right? We need to ask those questions. Again, we got to think about their context and how challenging it was for them to be Christians. You know, in their context, there were probably many ways for them to be saved. If I strike the deal and I have more access to wealth, that's a sign of little salvation. I feel better, right? Looking for the the pleasure and the comfort in the now is a way to feel okay or to feel saved. But the Christian doesn't settle for the comforts of now. The Christian serves the living God in the now misses out on a lot of benefits for the sake of the coming kingdom. That is what you and I are called to. Now, if you remember the sins that Peter mentions, he says, if you suffer for murder, being a thief, another kind of crime, or a meddler, like I think there's something more there. I think there's a reason why Peter chose those sins Maybe it tells you a little bit about the congregation. He says, you know, we used to be murderers. Like maybe that's who the participants of the church were at the time. That's interesting. And so, but meddler is included there. What does that mean? Well, that, that means, you know, kind of worrying about other people's business. That means trying to change outcomes, trying to manipulate, trying to control things. You know, we got to make sure that we don't water down the word of God, that we don't meddle with the word of God and say, man, I shouldn't be suffering for doing good. I should be happy. No, no, no. We are called to do good. And if it includes suffering, that doesn't mean we stop. Peter says, you need to continue to do good. And if you suffer more for doing that good, then you are participating with God. And if you're insulted for doing that good, then you are blessed and the spirit of God rest on you. Now, what do you do? Entrust yourself to your creator and continue to do good, even if it means suffering. So I think we have to here identify, and this is the work that you're going to have to do. What does it mean to do good? In your context, in your work context, in your life, in your household, in your our local North OC ministry, what does it mean to do good. As we move forward here in First uh, Peter chapter five, verse one uh, through five, I got to please open your Bibles there. Please go there. I'm not going to show the, the scripture here, but it says, "To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings." who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, there's not an obligation, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. You know, a couple of highlights here. We got to remember Peter's story. Right, He says, I'm a fellow elder, and I'm a witness to Christ's suffering. Do you remember Peter and who he was? Eric took us back last week and kind of brought us back to some of the things that, that Peter did. Right? Peter was called the devil. He was the devil, and yet he was restored by Jesus. And so he can tell you, hey, don't do things out of self-preservation right? When he took out his sword, no. When he challenged Jesus, Peter didn't want to suffer. And now this this elder, as an older brother now, having suffered so much, he's saying, hey, it's worth it. It's worth it to choose God, to do good, and to maybe miss out and suffer because I've done it the other way. And that shame hurts a lot more than the joy that I feel now when because I'm confident that Jesus is returning. And so he learned to oppose evil without becoming evil. He took the sword and became evil himself. He used his voice, he used his platform, to use a modern word, to try and stop Jesus from doing good. You know, sometimes we have brothers and sisters that are so good-hearted that just irritate us. Can I say that here? That we have some brothers who are just so, brothers and sisters who are so good hearted. They're so humble. We don't like to be around them because our pride just comes out. You know, we have to be careful with that. God has put specific people in our lives to help us imitate their heart, their humility, their joy. And so we also have to remember that, you know, as Peter's giving this example of what leadership should be. He has in mind how Jesus led and how Jesus was was assassinated, right? Because he threatened the authorities. His way of leadership was different than those authorities of Herod and the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And they conspired to kill him because people were were being led by this kind of new leadership. And they did not like that. And so Peter here is addressing the leaders and saying, hey, elders, shepherds, make sure that you lead like Jesus. Don't lead like the world does, right? The world lords it over them. It's about status. It's about power. It's about manipulation. It's about benefit. No, no, that's not how you need to lead. And we see the contrast here of power versus servitude, right? And so, but, but he says, I witnessed Jesus and how he led. And he probably is thinking back about how Jesus was arrested, about the so called trial, about the cross. But then he was also reminded of the resurrection and how doing good and this kind of servant sacrificial leadership is worth it because there's new life at the end. And there's probably a reminder of Peter there about the resurrection. And so this is where the references of being overjoyed and blessed and continue to do good. Why can he say that? Because he witnessed the resurrected Lord. And that resurrected Lord restored him. The one who called him devil, the one who heard him deny him three times is the one who is now restoring him and calling him now go feed my sheep. And what is Peter doing right here? He's fulfilling that restoration. He's fulfilling that work of serving the sheep, of serving the flock, going in extra lengths to write this letter, to risk his life, that there's letters out there publicly. And Peter did that. So shout out to all of the brothers and sisters who have had the humility and the courage to be restored. We're so grateful that you're back, that you participate in this way of Peter, of allowing yourselves to be ministered to Jesus again, and we're grateful for you you being here. And then he says, not because you must, but because you are willing. You know, everybody wants this kind of leader. Everybody wants servant leadership. Everyone wants a leader that's inclusive, uh, a leader that listens, a leader that goes the extra mile, uh, a leader that's humble, a leader that's vulnerable, a leader that is, you know, relatable, uh, a leader that you can, you know, trust, um, (laughs) a leader that you can respect. Like, we all want that. But few want to really be that. We want that. But do you want to be that? You know, though it's addressing elders, it's applicable to any form of leadership. We are in need of leaders in the North O.C., this kind of leaders. But it's a challenge to be this kind of leader because it includes suffering. So the list sometimes becomes shorter Because not everyone's willing to suffer. But I already suffered again. I I already suffered before. I did so much. And and amen. We got to talk that through. But Peter would say, entrust yourself to God's will and continue to do good. Let the spirit of God rest on you and bless you, Serve." And so we talk a little bit here about elders, leaders, shepherds, but also members. When he says young, right? When he says, you know, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Sometimes we think that that means the young Christians. Young here means the non-elders. Because otherwise he's talking about elders and young Christians. What about everyone in between? Which is the majority? You think Peter would forget them? No. So he's probably talking about elders. And when he says young, he's talking about the non-elders. That would be all of us. Calling us to clothe ourselves with humility, to submit ourselves to our elders. Think about the expectation that I just listed about elders, but I think we have to figure out, can we have this expectation about ourselves to be humble to leaders? Do you have that? Do you value this scripture and hold yourself accountable as much as you hold leaders accountable? And I think both are important. They should not be competing. Peter didn't address it as a competition. He addressed it as a team effort. And so can you imagine if you're in the audience and you had some issues with your elder and you're reading this letter and the letter is saying that you need to be humble (laughs) with your elder. Imagine if you were the elder and you just had some issues with some of the members and you hear this letter and you're like, oh, can you imagine the restoration of relationships that took place when the letter was read? how they probably set some time and appointments to talk things through, to apologize, the yielding to God moment. And then at the end here, Paul is, Peter's very clear. I know I keep saying Paul, Peter's very clear. He says, you know what? At the end of the day, God opposes the proud. Pride, pride, pride. Pride is self-preservation. Pride is independence. Pride is self-interest. We have too many opinions, but not too many servants. Do your opinions, you know, outnumber the ways that you serve? I think it's important for us to consider that here. And so let's close things out here in chapter, verse 6 through verse 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be a Lord and silver mind, right? gird up your loins. There it is again. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. These guys probably felt on their own, right? But at the beginning of the letter, the letter mentions all of the cities, where the letter was going to be traveling, giving them an identity that, man, we're not on our own. We're part of something bigger. And then Peter actually expands it right here, that it's not just a connection with your region. It's actually a connection throughout the world. And so he says, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast to be to him, be power." forever and ever. Amen. So where does this power, where is the starting point of this power? Where is the starting point of participating in the grace of God? Where does the starting point? It's humility. Humility. You know, humility is a personal decision. We're either humble or we're prideful. And sometimes we can, and I do this myself, so I'm, I'm preaching to me here. I can say, yeah, you know, I struggle with pride. We can say that. That would be like saying, yeah, you know, I I sometimes cheat on my wife. That's equivalent to how dangerous pride is. It's like, you know what? Sometimes, Sometimes I get really drunk and I just drive around the city. Like, what? That's madness in so many levels. That's what it's like when we say, when we tolerate our pride and we treat it like a like a pet. No, no, no. Pride is dangerous. Pride is evil. And God opposes the proud. We need to take our pride serious. It says that humility is the entry point to be under God's mighty hand. So pride rejects God's hand from our lives. And then at the end there, it says, cast your anxieties to God. And again, a theme of humility. It's humble to say what hurts. It's humble to say, I am not doing well. It's humble to say, I need some help. I need some encouragement. But when we talk about humble and pride, to use Eric's analogy, I think we need a lot more deep divers here to study out what pride is, to study out what humility is. Then he says there again, be sober mind. What does that mean? There's no waiting period. Being a Christian, we're not waiting for Jesus to come back. We're participating in the life of Jesus now because he rose from the dead. So everything that Jesus did in his ministry continues after his resurrection, but now through the church. Therefore, you and I are called to participate in that. We're not in this waiting period. Oh, we're just waiting. You ever been to a waiting room? That's a boring place to be, right? Like here's a waiting room, waiting for my appointment, waiting for my number, like, uh, da, da, da. there's nothing to do there. That's not where we're at. We're, we're full on participating, which is why Peter says, be sober mind, right? And then when he talks about the devil, he's describing the devil who devours. That means he's a consumer. And the dangers of being part of a consumeristic culture, is that we can come to events to consume. And then we just put up our grades. That was a 10. That was a three. I don't even know if it's worth coming. And so we can, without knowing it, that consumeristic nature comes in, like we're going to the movies. This is the, the church of the living God. And so the devil is a consumer, He's a murderer, a thief, and a meddler. Remember those references? That's who the devil is. And so when Peter mentions those sins, he references those are the sins of the devil. So he says, be of sober mind, meaning don't have an intoxicated mind. An intoxicating mind is a critical mind. An intoxicating mind sits in the audience and just lists all the flaws and things that are don't like. An intoxicating mind has critical thoughts about other people. An intoxicated mind is anxious. There's no time to pray because I have to go get this done. There's no time to open my Bible because I have to go get this done. That's an intoxicated mind. We need to have a sober mind and go rest with God. God is the opposite, obviously, of the devil. God cares. He's not a consumer. He shares. He serves. He suffers. He gives us a new birth. Therefore, we have a true narrative and a true identity in the life of the living God. Therefore, we should gird up our loins and get ready for action. How? He told us earlier, have hope, be holy, fear God, love one another, desire the word. And maybe the point here tonight, build, build the church. And so in closing, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that it is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. So does my son Mark greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And so there's again, this final theme of, of Peter just displaying this humility, this love. And he mentions Silas. So if you talk to Eric, he'll say, Silas co-wrote the letter of 1 Peter. But as I read today, we have a debate to settle, Eric. Because maybe I'm thinking that Silas was the one distributing the letter, not necessarily the writer. But I think Eric is going to have a unique answer for me. And then there's a reference to Babylon that we don't have time to get to, but it's very likely that Peter is now in Rome facing possible death that's near. And there's a reference to Mark. If you remember the gospel of Mark, this is John Mark who wrote that gospel. So it's very likely that the gospel of Mark is Peter's account, which is really cool. Then he says, peace to all of you who are in Christ But there's no farewell because fully yet because there's 2 Peter. So I hope that you guys can continue and read 2 Peter. Amen. So remember your study guide outline and enjoy rereading 1 Peter. Enjoy rereading 2 Peter. And let's become great divers into the word of God. Amen. O.C. family, how will your personal study grow from this experience? Thank you for listening to the Deeper Dive podcast by the OC Church of Christ. We hope you have enjoyed this study of First Peter. If you want to get connected to us or want to donate to the program, go to our website occhurchofchrist.com or contact us through social media at the OC Church. Join us next time for our next Deeper Dive.